Hello and welcome back to the second of two episodes in our series about our 2020 birthday gifts. Glad you decided to jump back and see what we have to offer this time. My name's Charlie Wallace. Yeah, I'm still Adam Gobeski and uh, you got the highlights. Now we're going to get into the the nitty gritty, I guess. Yeah, let's get into the weeds. We're going to talk about the the two movies that we got, yeah, which were uh, World on a Wire and kiss me deadly which one do you want to start with well the movie that adam got me was the 1955 noir film kiss me deadly which i'm pretty sure i'd heard i recognized the title obviously from the song but i knew that it was a movie but i didn't know much about it otherwise and the cover of the blu-ray didn't really give an accurate representation of the film either (laughs) But you had told well, it's me... It's just a general, yeah. generic yeah. sort of noir paperback. Yeah, exactly. Sort of. The sort of thing it would be. It's a woman tied up and, and my camera holding a gun next to her. But uh, when I told you that I hadn't seen this one, you said, I shouldn't look up anything about it. I might as well go in blind. So that's what I did. So until last night, which is when I watched it, I didn't know really anything about this movie, which is actually kind of a fun way to go into it. Good. That's kind of what I was hoping. So I rewatched uh, in preparation. Uh, well... Sort of rewatched. I rewatched with the commentary track on where I was like, oh, maybe I don't remember this movie as well as I thought I did. But oh, well, yeah. Why did you so why did you gravitate towards this movie? Um, So I gravitated toward this movie because I was actually going to get you local hero. And then you told me you had seen half of it. And I was like, well, now what am I supposed to do? (laughs) That's a true story, by the way. I figured, you know, local hero. It's a great little movie. He probably hasn't seen it. Probably hasn't even heard of it. So I sent you a bunch, I sent you a text asking about a whole bunch of movies as like a blind, so you didn't know which one was which. And then like, you were like, oh, I haven't seen any of these, except I've seen the first half of Local Hero. And I was like, son of a... Well, my mom really likes that movie, so we sat down to watch it once when I visited her, maybe, you know, it was like a year ago or something. We only got halfway through it. So it's not to say anything about me not enjoying the movie, it's just that we didn't get there. Ah, it's it's your mom. Your mom, much more of a cinephile than I think I realized. It's true. She watches I was a lot on of movies, Facebook. Yeah. I've temporarily given up Facebook. But oh, nice. For a while, I was on Facebook and um, posting the screenshots of the movies I'd seen. I was watching. I was kind of like keeping track on Facebook. Now I'm just keeping track on my phone and then sending them to Charlie, I guess. <laughs> uh, but she would comment on was like, oh, I really like these movies and stuff. And then she would occasionally have suggestions for me. Oh, like, nice. um, she, uh, she suggested the adventures of Robin hood with Errol Flynn. Uh, I learned Donnie Darko is one of her favorite movies. I didn't know this. Yeah. Well, well now you do. I do. Uh, she also suggested that we watch topper with Cary Grant, which we have not gotten to yet. So sorry, Mrs. Charlie's mom, but <laughs> we'll get there. So I guess that's a long way of saying that. Oh, it doesn't su- perhaps surprise me that your mom would know about local hero. Oh, right. Yeah, so this was going to be this was my second choice for you out of all the other movies that I randomly sent you. I don't even remember what they were. Um, this was the backup. This is a it's a I don't know if it was that popular of a noir movie when it came out, but it subsequently has been critically reevaluated and been fairly influential on directors. I guess this basically the point is where I say we're probably going to spoil this movie if you haven't oh, heard yeah. of it and you want to go in blind. That's for this whole conversation of this movie and the next movie. Yeah, it's almost silly yeah. to talk about it without spoilers. Yeah, so if you want to do that, I would recommend pausing. I don't think it's available streaming anywhere. One of the reasons I bought this movie for you was because 
it wasn't one you'd be able to watch on oh, like Canopy or Criterion Channel. Nice, very nice. So that is a downside. You'd have to find a way to maybe it's maybe there's an illegal file somewhere on the internet. I don't know. <laughs> maybe TCM will show it. Who knows? They show lots of weird stuff. I've seen some cool stuff on TCM. I did not expect to see on TCM. Anyway, uh, so yeah, we're gonna spoil the hell out of this. So if you care about such things, you know, stop this podcast now. Come back when you're when you've watched the movie. It's on you. It's up to you. Anyway, uh, the reason that um, this that I was interested first in this movie was that I'd heard about it. Well, a uh, it's actually in the thousand and one movies you must see before you die book. So I heard about it through there, and it sounded interesting to me in that. Uh, but also, it turns out this is fairly influential on movies like Raiders of the Lost Ark, Repo Man, Pulp Fiction, uh, in that the sort of MacGuffin that everyone's sort of searching for turns out to be a uh, a radioactive box that has a giant bright light that glows inside it. <laughs> yep, and if you open it up, you explode or catch on fire or something like that yeah that's why i was interested in it and i thought since you were since you were a nuclear physicist or something like that (laughs) um you would appreciate possibly the most accurate depiction of um atomic energy ever put to film well i mean here's what we know about it manhattan project trinity right (laughs) those are the words the guy says oh there was one more los alamos los alamos I think it was Los Alamos. Yeah, that's all the information I have. So I'm letting my imagination fill in the rest. Even as a physicist, it could be <laughs> alien in nature. We don't know. I know so little about it that I, I'm actually cool with it. <laughs> the thing that was so funny about this movie is that doesn't even come in until like the last 15 minutes, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think it was the last half hour. I was looking this time, and the uh, actual opening of the box, like the full opening of the box doesn't happen in the last couple minutes of the movie. So you get this, like, it's not typical noir. It's actually very unique for a lot of different reasons we'll talk about, but you get just like a normal, uh, you get a sort of a noir detective story that doesn't have any of those sort of elements until like the very end. You're like, wait, what's inside that box? (laughs) I want to know what's inside that box. (laughs) Yeah. For most of the movie, it's just this, I don't want to say a standard noir, but it, in many ways, it's sort of a standard noir in which Mike Hammer is a private detective. He's investigating the death of this girl who he also got like beat up and put in a car crash as a result of her and stuff. And he wants to find, find out what's going on. So he's just kind of going all around town and stuff, trying to figure out what's happening. Cloris Leachman. I, I didn't, didn't recognize her in her first role as that woman mm-hmm. who gets who shows up and then promptly gets murdered. <laughs> but immediately the movie's kind of unusual in that, like, she's on the road. She's escaped from an asylum, and she flags him down in the middle of the road. He picks her up, and, like, the credits start to scroll backwards. So you kind of well, know like that you're, you're in for it. Like it's coming up the road. But also there's this breathing going on for the entire credit sequence of this character because she's been you know running or is nervous or upset it's just like this constant like <sighs> for like a couple of minutes it was driving car nuts because <laughs> she wasn't watching it with me she was in the other room she's oh. like what's what's that character breathing <laughs> but yeah so the sound design, like right off the bat the sound design in this movie is really interesting there are a few choices like that yeah. that i noticed and then when mike hammer is that guy is following him tries to stab him and then he keeps knocking the guy's head against the bricks and instead of like a smacking mm-hmm. sound it's like this 
dull thud. It's like, oh, was somebody actually thinking like what that would sound like and is really trying to make it sound like that <laughs> that guy's being murdered? <laughs> like it was a very kind of sickening sound. Yeah, they kind of got in trouble at the time, I think, for all the violence and sexual content. Not that there's really that much sexual content, but for 1955, you know. Oh, yeah, I was a little surprised for 1955. A lot of direct references to, and he's basically pimping out his secretary, who's like not his yeah. girlfriend, but is like really into him. There's girls making out with him like all over the place and he's just not interested. Well, yeah. I mean, he's disinterested, I guess is the word. Yeah, I heard a one that one of the things they were sort of doing was to try and um, deflate, I guess, that sort of stereotypical masculine noir hero sort of thing and say that, yeah, sometimes these guys are just really amoral and we shouldn't necessarily like be idolizing them. He is, he's almost like a misanthrope. He's actually, I was thinking maybe even like a sociopath almost he doesn't i don't think there's anybody in this movie he cares about there's that no, guy he definitely cares about nick he cares about he nick cares about nick the mechanic and in, in what mechanic well okay so remind me how do we know that he cares about nick because he goes and gets drunk after he dies oh okay i guess so but he doesn't care about nick enough to keep him out of danger or to not keep doing well, what he's doing i think it's more that he you know hasn't considered that aspect of it until mm. yeah okay it's too late. so there's a tiny tiny bit of empathy in him perhaps the the commentary i was listening to suggested that he's almost taking the role in this movie of the standard femme fatale from most film noirs no oh, yeah like if you think about things like maltese falcon or double indemnity or something like that you know the woman that puts the men in danger that kind of thing like that seems to be in some ways what his role is and this is he's putting people in danger without necessarily realizing it i don't know if he doesn't realize it or he just doesn't care like i don't he doesn't yeah. care about the woman that he picks up at the beginning at uh, christina he doesn't care about her he doesn't really care about his secretary except for her ability to help him get money okay maybe he cares about nick but he doesn't care about Christina's roommate. I mean, I guess he cares about his secretary a little bit, right? Because he's he, willing to go. He goes and gets her. Rescue mm. her at the mm. end. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But okay. So uh, he does care about people, but not enough to keep them out of harm's way. There's like a six minute segment on the Blu-ray. And I think maybe a director is talking about the film. And uh, is it Alex Cox? It is. Yes. That's yeah, the director of Repo Man. Oh, nice. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So he's talking about how in the Mickey Spillane, uh, Mike Hammer books, Mike Hammer's kind of a thuggish, amoral, stupid, stupid guy. And in the movie, like, he is a thuggish, amoral, stupid, stupid guy, too. So, like, I guess I kind of get, like, maybe he doesn't realize that he's putting people in, people in danger because he just doesn't even think. Like, he's he's got a good nose for figuring out where the clues are leading him, but he doesn't show a lot of intelligence beyond that. Well, I think it might also just be a sort of deconstruction of the whole genre, right? Of, yeah. you know, if someone were actually like this, right. people would get hurt and things. And he shows a very... He's pretty sadistic. He enjoys harming other people. Yeah, there's that scene with the coroner where he slams the guy's hand into the desk the into the drawer of the desk and he is like he's enjoying it like there's no ambiguity about it he was happy to have the opportunity to do that he was wishing the guy would cross him so that he could torture him yeah 
But yeah, this is a ghost to what you're saying. Just another example of it, which is what kept me interested in the first, like, I was going to say like 80%, but more like 90% of this movie before you even get to the box stuff. It's like, yeah, this has got very different sort of protagonists than you typically see in these sort of movies. So did you like it? I did. I did. Um, there were a couple of times I raised my eyebrows and it mostly had to do with people of different ethnicities and how they were portrayed in the movie. But I did look up the actors and at least the Italian guy is actually Italian and the Greek guy is actually Greek. But mm-hmm. Carr was definitely of the opinion like, yeah, I think the director was like, you need to be you need to play this up. And like, so people know what ethnicity you are. I mean, this is 1955, right? But <laughs> it did distract a little bit. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Um, I believe the director, Robert Aldrich, has a history of casting non just white bread, white Americans, people yeah. of ethnicity yeah. in various roles. I think that's just more because that's something he enjoys doing. I don't know that it's necessarily that they are anymore. Yeah, there's no way. There's no way I could tell. Stereotypical. Like the, uh, the Italian opera singer guy, right? Apparently, that was kind of his stereotype, that actor. hes I think he's in Citizen Kane doing more or less the oh. same thing. <laughs> so, But yeah, I, that was alleviated a little bit when I actually looked up the actors. And I was like, okay, well. like the, It never feels like the movie's making fun of them for their ethnicity or anything like that. Right, right. At least I didn't think so. Yeah, so I'd say mostly the things that were really interesting, the cinematography was really good, the the character of Mike Hammer, as he's portrayed here, was sort of fascinating and different than I'd seen in most movies. And the sound design, yeah, that, like, the moaning at the beginning of the movie, the moaning slash panting, and then you kind of get that at the end, too, when they open up the box that's sort of like, I don't know if it's like a hum or a, sort of this weird yeah. periodic rhythm that ends the movie kind of in the same way that it began. But I thought it was pretty effective. And then, I guess, yeah, let's talk about the box. Yeah, the box. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know what there is to talk about other than that it's hot, it burns people, it'll set them on fire if you open it fully, and um, probably the most distinctive thing about it is that when the lid comes up, um, there's just a intense white light coming out of it, and so that's pretty clearly an influence on things like, well, Repo Man, I'm sure, is acknowledged influence. Um, yep. Pulp Fiction is probably yeah acknowledged from that, too. Is Raiders? I believe Spielberg has said, yeah, that... Um, the opening of the arc scene, he was referencing this movie when nice. he was doing some of those shots and things. Yeah. Like Tote melts, right? And then it's like he catches on fire, I think was meant to sort of be an homage to where Gabrielle, Gabrielle here. Uh, I don't even the remember. Opens the box. The woman who was. The woman who opens the box when she yeah. catches on fire. The woman we thought was the roommate, but turns out wasn't. And then I asked myself at the right. end of the movie, then who was she? And I don't know if we're meant to know that, or maybe it was just kind of a very... I think she's the partner of the, the sadistic Doctors. doctor guy. Yeah. And just she was trying to find out information through my camera by posing as the roommate. But uh, so the, the ending's so weird, too, because the doctor seems to know what it is and what to do with it. And then she kills him, or he dies before he's able to give her that information. And she doesn't know what it is. No, she kills him. Doesn't she shoot him? No, she shoots him. Yeah. She well, yeah. th- what I mean to say is she shot him. He tries to reveal the information at that point and doesn't get through it. Okay, yeah. He's like, I could tell you where to take it, but then he doesn't. Then she's like, okay, well, I'm going to open it. So she's not a good enough partner with him to know what it is. 
But then again, Mike Hammer doesn't know what it is. He's searching for it this whole time, and he has no idea what he's even looking for. He just thinks it's going to be valuable. Uh, can you think? Well, he knows that people have been killed because of it. Right. But what does he stand to gain except money? I mean, Not so it must knowledge. be. Knowledge. Knowledge? Money. Maybe money, yeah. Yeah. If everyone's after this, it must be worth something. I think I heard that, and in the book, it's not a it's not a radioactive box thing. That's an invention of the movie. But in the book, the events happen because he feels motivated. He's looking for revenge for Christina's death. I think. Ah. But obviously, that's not really happening here. No. Not that this follows that that closely. Um, the story sort of going around was that they took the title in the first line and threw out the rest of the book. <laughs> when it came to adapting it. Yeah, the screenwriter said he didn't like the book very much. <laughs> it wasn't any good. Yeah. Which yeah. I guess the that was a lot of a lot of critics said that about Mickey Spillane and his uh My Camera books. It's very very popular, very popular pulp reading, but at the time critics didn't like it very much. <laughs> but it at least my camera, when he knows what it is or what it could potentially be, he decides he doesn't want it anymore and only goes to the final confrontation to get the secretary. So you're right about that. So I just wonder, like, he realizes that he can't handle it or there's no money to be gained, or at least not in any reasonable way. He gives up on it because he gives the key to the detective. He's like, all right, well, never mind. Here you all go. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Other than the thing to talk about, which was that for the longest time, the people thought this movie was a lot bleaker than it was at the end. Oh, yeah. And that for reasons that no one seems to understand, like the last minute of footage for the longest time was missing. And so it just ended with the box opening, um, starting to catch on fire, my camera leaves, and then the house explodes. And it seems to imply that my camera and the secretary and everyone involved just died in the blast. <laughs> yeah, the Blu-ray has it has you can watch the original ending and it's just the ending. It's not like you're tacking it on to the end of the movie. Well, it's not the and, original ending. I'm sorry, not the original. Apparently, ending. it's not what correct. It's not what happened. It was not the ending that they filmed and initially released. So no one seems to know why this suddenly changed. The but. the abridged ending and it literally yeah. just shows you five seconds of the house burning. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? And so I had to reread it and be like, oh, they took it. This is just the same scene with them taking out almost everything. Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of fascinating. It makes it very different sort of ending. But I was initially trying to figure out, okay, is this like a specific like one-to-one comparison to specific countries as related to like atomic energy or the atomic bomb? And I couldn't really make that work. So I think it was more like maybe trying to talk about, hey, we're doing all this research into atomic energy in order to create weapons and nobody's doing it responsibly or some people don't even know why they're doing it. That's kind of what I gather from this, but I think, yeah, I think it's, it's more just, just generally. More like general Cold War paranoia. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of what I took from it. Yeah. It's like, hey, these weapons will be in the hands of somebody who doesn't know what they're doing at some point. You're just like, oh, a box. I want to <laughs> see what's inside the box. But yeah, no, very entertaining. I can see why it was so influential. But so yeah, I had no idea what the ending was going to be. I knew there was going to be a surprise ending based on the back of the Blu-ray case. And yeah, I definitely was surprised by it. But when I first saw the glowing box, I was like, yep, that's where they got the thing from Pulp Fiction. I get it now. (laughs) And Repo Man, which I'd watched sometime in the last year. That's that's a really, that's a good one. Yeah. Repo Man's a, I recommend that movie as well. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. So that's the movie that, I got Charlie. 
for his birthday. And then he got me for my birthday, the 1973 German telefilm uh, World on a Wire, which is a science fiction uh, show about computer scientists who create a simulated reality for like predictive purposes. So that they'll know like what the demand for steel in the future will be, that kind of thing. And But then strange going-ons are happening involving it. I was interested to see this, partly because I like science fiction. And this was a movie I'd actually never even heard of. The impl- the impression I got from the reading the, the stuff in the, the case, the box, the, the little booklet that comes with it, suggested that this is sort of a... a for- it was sort of a forgotten film. Um, it's by an acclaimed director, um, uh, Reiner Werner Fassbender, who's better known for things like... Um, Ali, Fear Eats the Soul, Berlin Alexander Plots, what is it like the Maria, the marriage of Mariah Maria von Braun or something? Yeah. So he's known for like a lot of stuff, but he's not really known for this. Yeah. Uh, the impression I got was that um yeah, this had this was part of his filmography that had just sort of been forgotten about. It hadn't really been repeated until like I think people in like around 2010 or so were like roughly like, oh, hey, remember this thing that happened like 40 years ago? Wouldn't it be cool if we could like restore that? This director was very prolific in that I think over the course of 20 years, he made 40 movies. He was just constantly making movies. So it's not terribly surprising that this one kind of got forgotten because I think a lot of his movies like like, how can you be a completist when he's got that many movies? It's kind of hard over such a short period of time. So some stuff is going to get forgotten, especially the stuff that was just on, you know, on television. Yeah. I think Ali Fear Eats the Soul, just like one of his, probably his most well-known film, was just something he was doing in between other things. <laughs> like he had a break in production. He was like, ah, right, why don't I just film this other thing? I think it happened like immediately, yeah. like almost maybe immediately after this film. Apparently a very scandalous figure in West Germany or something. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of the impression I got. Yep. Was, he, he may be better known in Germany for his scandals than his movies, <laughs> at least for a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from my reading, he kind of played into that, too, is what I heard, <laughs> is that he would purposely say things sometimes in order to get attention. But he'd always bring his movies in <laughs> at very low budgets and got a lot of uh, government funding as a result by being able to make so many things at reasonably high quality. yeah. So, consequently, this was a movie I didn't even really know existed. I think I vaguely knew about it because at one point I was looking up, like, on the internet, like, what are the best science fiction movies of all time? And most of the lists out there are just, you know, like, Star Wars, Alien, The Matrix, uh, 2001, uh, Metropolis sometimes, you know. Very, you know, English-speaking world focused and stuff like that um but there was one i found from like maybe like slant magazine or something that had a whole bunch of like um non-english movies like less obvious choices and i believe this was one of them on on that list but yeah this was basically just about that was about the only way i think i'd vaguely even heard of it that's exactly how i found it too because Another thing that COVID took away was I was going to go to the Wisconsin Film Festival, and this was not going to be there, but I decided to make my own kind of mini film festival at home, and that I kind of have like, well, why don't just have a sci-fi thing, because I don't feel like I'm very well versed in sci-fi, and there's just a lot of it out there. And then when I started to read those lists, it turns out like, yeah, no, I've seen 
most of the movies that are on those lists, just like you have. But this was one that kind of came up and I was like, okay, this seems like something sort of interesting to seek out. Yeah. And then I knew you liked sci-fi and I watched it and I was like, Adam, like it's probably not going to be his favorite sci-fi movie ever, but he'll find it interesting. And I, I think that's very accurate. Um, (laughs) I, I do wonder if I'm spoiled a bit by being an American in 2020, who's relatively well-versed about, science fiction tropes and things because the movie overall is three and a half hours (laughs) um it was shown on german television so it was split over two nights and the blu-ray actually preserves that like you you get the credits halfway through for part one which was nice so i actually did watch it over two nights well two afternoons to try and give it that feel because as a fan of doctor who particularly a classic doctor who that has like the cliffhangers from week to week uh I know the value of having that break can make sometimes things that otherwise feel a bit like slow and saggy, like better because it's not designed to be watched all at once. It's designed to be watched in pieces. Although that said, I was actually very surprised that the second part picks up immediately where the first part left off without (laughs) any sort of recap at all, (laughs) at least in the version on the disc Yeah, where he like at the end of the first one, right? He basically like, punches a dude and like has a freak out and then the second half like the guy's like reeling and you're just like wait what was happening okay (laughs) but yeah so the thing that happens in the first half fairly early on is that like the main leader of the simulation project says something about i know the truth and it's too horrible to contemplate at which point he go commit he goes and commits suicide and thereafter we follow like his second in command and Weird things start happening to him, like the guy that he's talking to about the death suddenly disappears in the middle of a party. He gets interviewed by the police about it, but they later claim they have no knowledge of this. Articles written in newspapers seem to disappear. And so my immediately thought was like, oh, well, he's in a simulation. (laughs) You know, this is like a Matrix thing. And, you know, probably in 1973, especially West Germany, that was probably a pretty novel I don't know that people would have necessarily like known that or picked up on that right away. But I was just sort of patiently waiting for the the main character to catch up um, (laughs) to me to be like, yes, I'm in a simulation. Consequently, what that meant was that I think a lot of the I think potential tension and paranoia that the first half has didn't have the effect it had on me because I was. I already knew what the game was and I was just waiting for them to figure out what the game was. So it was to me, it wasn't like, what happened to that guy? It's like, oh, well, glitch in the Matrix or something. You had told me that via a text, like you didn't know whether people in the 70s or people in West Germany in the 70s might have necessarily understood this trope. And again, this is just speculation from Roger Ebert, but in his short review of it, he just makes a quick aside and he's like, I assume people understood what was going on or that they were familiar with this trope. That's what Roger Ebert thought, is that people back then would have known that from sci-fi already. So For like the 2010 yeah, yeah, release yeah. or something? Yep. Okay. But that kind of gets to what one of the problems with the movie is, and it's, it's a, and, even for two yeah. nights, it's a bit long. Yeah, I did comment to you, though, at the time, that I thought that the movie was signposting what was happening pretty clearly. Yeah. And that I was just... I wasn't sure if it was only signposting it to me or if it was just generally signposting it that, oh, you're in the you're in a simulation as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I found the second half more interesting with a couple caveats. So in the simulation that they've created, um, 
they they make a point of saying that they only worked if they had like a contact person who knew that the simulation was a simulation. That was the only way they could get their simulation to work. So he was look. He's been he goes around trying to find out who that person is for his simulation. So I kind of found that stuff a little more interesting. And then this, there's some also some corporate espionage subplot going on where they're trying to pin some blame on him and. So there's at one point there's this meeting where they start accusing him of things, these things. And then rather than being like indignant or anything like that, he's just like, who cares? It's all a simulation, you know, not literally, but that's the implication is none of this matters. So uh, I found that stuff a little more interesting, although I think the there's a protracted sequence where he goes more or less on the run as a result of the corporate conspiracy stuff. And then he gets um, accused of uh, committing a couple murders and stuff. So there, there's a protracted sequence of like the, uh, like a chase almost that's not very interesting because I think it just goes on too long, honestly. I think if it were like 15, 20 minutes shorter, it would have been fine. But the thing about this movie that I was thinking about after the fact is that, and maybe this is where you can help, is that I don't know what this movie's trying to say. Hmm. I think it's very interestingly filmed. I think it's got, you know, lots of great performances um, lots of cool direction, you know, lots of like mirror shots and stuff, which uh, apparently I learned is a Fassbender trademark, although, you know, he's using it to good effect here. But um, but afterwards, I was just like, I so what's what is the message of the movie? I don't know if I really figured it out either. I thought the second half was I actually had kind of had the reverse feeling on the second half because I think for most of the OK, so there's strange things happening, right? But you don't know whether he's just going crazy or maybe there's some explanation so there's ambiguity up until a point at which point they just take that away from you like nope it's definitely a simulation he's found the contact right so then well, that's it, at the very end though. yeah yeah okay yeah towards the very end but then i don't know there might be a hint in the fact that at least i wasn't quite sure at the very end he gets pulled out of the simulation and into the body of his counterpart like in the version above and so the mm-hmm. The questions that immediately comes up with is, A, did that happen or is he dead? I thought maybe he was dead, but then also, okay, but are you still in a simulation though? Can you ever know that you're not in a simulation? He seems to think he's not. He's very happy to be up another level, but we're kind of left with that. Like, what's the point of anything? Like, he's already given up on the world below, right? He doesn't feel any obligation to anyone down there. It's like, why won't you just feel that same way a level up? Yeah, you know, maybe like disconnectedness, just like as a theme. But I don't know if there's anything specific that I could pick up on. I thought it was an interesting sci-fi tale for back then. If you hadn't already like, like I don't know if there would have been a lot of movies at that point that had brought up the idea of being able to create an accurate simulation of humanity within a computer. Yeah, I think I read this was one of the first, if not the first. So obviously, the general idea is very old right of yeah. like you know butterfly dreaming of a man or a man dreaming of a butterfly like mm-hmm. that sort of thing right but the specific like computer simulation apparently is pretty recent and apparently this is an adaptation of the first like novel to actually deal with that and that novel is only from like the 60s because i would think it'd take a few decades at least after you know the first gigantic computers were built to even imagine that like oh we could build something so complex that it might be able to simulate that sort of thing. Yeah. 
so I thought that was interesting. I thought, yeah, I thought the cinematography on this was great too. I thought a lot of interesting choices. His, the actors he chooses are really interesting. Like he also has a the uh, tendency to company. What's that? A company, basically, right? The tendency to accompany. No, 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 no. He has a company. Oh yes, he has. I see what you're saying. Yeah, he has a company of people that he keeps drawing upon, and many of them are people he knows in real life. Like they're like, oh, I know you. Hey, why don't you come be in my movie? Including the main uh, character from Ali, Fear Eats the Soul. He plays one of the yeah, like henchmen. Yeah, I noticed him in there. I was like, is that is that the same guy? And I was like, yes, yes, it is. Yeah, his story is really interesting. I don't know if it's worth getting into here or not, but the actor, you mean? Yeah, the actor. Well, I mean, he and Fastbinder were lovers. I think it would have been at this oh, point. I didn't know that. Yep, and so, okay. and then later they break up, and then he ends up stabbing a bunch of people and going and killing himself in prison. And this is like the main oh, wow. character in like his one of his next movies. So, I mean, if you read about this guy's love life, it's. Things don't end pretty up intense. well for people. Yeah, pretty intense. Things don't often end up well for people that that he's been with. <laughs> so yeah, it, it was a movie I definitely appreciated, and I I'm not like mad that I watched it or anything like that. Um, but I I did leave kind of wondering what the point of it was. Yeah. Like I wasn't quite sure what the what the the message, the thrust was. I I so. I think it if you consider it more of a unique idea that maybe you hadn't seen in something like you wouldn't have seen in the matrix at that point that maybe that would have right. been enough. And like the questions that that maybe. naturally brings up would be enough. Like again, like what is it the highest level or, you know, what's the point or are we all yeah. living in, you know, the simulation? But if that stuff is already like, okay, we've been there, done that. What are you trying to say beyond that? Then I don't know if there's another level or not. Yeah. I guess all that's sort of a long way of saying, I'm not a hundred percent surprised that, this kind of dropped off people's radar, particularly in relation to other things that Fassbender did. But yeah, it was interesting. I'm not mad that I watched it. Um, and that's kind of how I feel about it too. Yeah. I did. I hope you take it as a compliment that you, I felt like I could send you a movie that was interesting and that we could discuss. And that might be sufficient instead of something that's like, Oh, this is my new favorite movie. Oh yeah. No, that's fine. As long as you're going to send me things that are interesting. And I want to discuss that. I actually, am okay with seeing that's a long-winded way of saying never send me solo or the 120 days of sodom (laughs) i don't want to watch it fair i'm sure it's i'm sure it's very wonderful i have i have no interest (laughs) that is the nice thing about the criterion collection in general though is i think the movies almost always have something worthwhile to 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 say like or like to recommend to them like there's only a couple movies from the criterion collection that i've seen that i genuinely like disliked and one of those is breathless that everyone else loves anyway so i think that's just me <laughs> that's the the godard film that kicks off the french new wave i've not seen it um i hate it because i i think the main character is a pig <laughs> And I think that might just be because I'm an American living in 2020 or 2019 or 18 <laughs> when I saw it, right? Instead of a Frenchman in 1960. Yeah. But he's just very, like, misogynist and stuff. And, um, so I have one final question that I want to ask you that's related to movies but not to uh, the, the stuff we've been discussing. And that is, what is the movie that you like that no one else likes? <sighs> 
the movie I like. like for me it's green lantern right like no one else likes green lantern and i like green lantern because we were having this conversation like for uh my for tyler it was the master of disguise he was like i acknowledge that this movie is dumb and terrible but i love it <laughs> uh, so what's that movie for you this i might have to do some searching to find this i know that one that i was surprised had as low ratings as it did was regarding henry which i really liked i think i looked that up on rotten tomatoes and it was something like it was like less than 50 percent or something which doesn't mean that everybody hates it but that was when i was like oh yeah harrison ford in sort of a dramatic role and i think people were kind of saying it was a a bit melodramatic and maybe like written by jj abrams was it (laughs) that's what wikipedia is telling me roger ebert gave it two out of four stars that doesn't mean he hates it though there's possibly a good movie to be found somewhere within the story, but Mike Nichols <laughs> has not found it in regarding Henry. Oh, poor Mike Nichols. I guess I just thought <laughs> See also, list of films featuring diabetes. <laughs> Sorry, now I'm just going through uh, Mike Nichols' filmography. Hmm. Where I'm like, okay, yeah, no, there's definitely more hits here than I thought. Like, I didn't realize he'd done The Birdcage. Oh, yeah. But... But he's also done What Planet Are You From? So, with Carrie Shandling. So, yeah. Have I talked about Valerian on this podcast? No. Okay. I don't think so. I don't think this really counts either, but it's the best I could think of. And Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets was something I've, I've watched it twice. And it's one of these things that just has the parts of it that are good or like really, it's a Luc Besson movie. And the parts of it that are good are like really good. And the parts of it that are bad are like really bad. But the good parts make me want to watch it. Like the first, I think like 10 minutes of the movie is like stellar. It's, I think it's like one of the best opening sequences I've seen in a movie in a long time. But then you like meet Valerian. <laughs> and I kind of feel like it's kind of the same thing you feel like with Breathless. It's like, God, this guy's kind of a jerk. Why does, uh, I think Lorelai is the other character. It's like, why does Lorelai like him at all? It's kind of an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> that's so you're supposed to like uh, care about this romance that's going on between them through the whole movie. And I'm like, I, I don't know about this. She's like so much better than he is. Maybe it's a French thing. Ah, uh, might be a Luc Besson thing, honestly. Well, you know, yeah. Breathless is French. This is French, it's, sort of. It's a very good example of like world building. There's super interesting like sci-fi stuff in there. But um it's particularly like the city of a thousand planets with all these different it's just the the idea behind it is that there's this have you seen this movie no okay or uh, read, familiar with the comics at all or no not really um it looked kind of interesting until i saw that dane dehan's in it i don't really like dane dehan yeah and then the reviews weren't great and so yeah. it was like all right if i come across it on tv someday which will never happen because i don't watch tv anymore you know, maybe fine. But if I see it at the Goodwill for three bucks, um, not that we're allowed to have Goodwills anymore. But yeah, watch the first ten minutes. It has no Dane DeHaan in it, and it does have <laughs> okay. it does have Rutger Hauer. So there you go. So I need to watch the Valerianless cut. <laughs> yeah. Well, if it's any indication, the comic I believe was called Valerian and Lorelei, and then mm-hmm. this movie was called Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. So. I think the more interesting of the two characters isn't even in the title anymore. It's like, oh, why should we have a woman in the title of the movie? <laughs> That's kind of what the whole thing feels like. Oh, there's like a whole like Rihanna striptease scene. It's it's really weird. All right. I know. But I'm just I'm like drawn to it. <laughs> I could watch it again right now. I really could. 
Is it better or worse than the Nichelle Nichols striptease in Star Trek V? That's the question. Uh, um, Rihanna is then like the, a then shape the band dance. It's better, I guess. But Rihanna is playing like a shape shifting alien who you later realize is like a big pile of goo. And it's just, okay. it's just weird. And then Dana Hodge just like staring at her the whole time, with this huge smile on his face. So you're like, uh, this is really kind of creepy. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's that's my choice. That's better than regarding Henry. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that fully meets the criteria. Oh, whereas regarding Henry, I'd right, watch it if was, it was on no matter what. <laughs> it needs to be a movie that, that you just, un, you like this movie, not hmm. parts of it. You just like the movie. And then you're just like, no one else likes this movie. Hmm. You know, it's got to be, it's got to be your hardcore Henry. Oh. To, uh, to give Doug's example, probably Doug's example. So anyway. I guess we'll give you time to think about that, and we'll we'll ask you in a future episode. Perfect. So, but uh, I think that probably wraps up for this edition of the Gobeski Wallace Report. I'm Adam Gobeski, and I'm Charlie Wallace. Once again, thanks to our zero guests. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. If you haven't uh, watched either of those movies, although I think it's interesting oh, to listen yeah. about movies you haven't seen before, if it, it like piques your interest, especially if it's something yeah. you weren't going to watch otherwise. Like I can't yeah, imagine there's that many people would be like. I've been really waiting to watch World on a Wire. I can't get spoilers for it. Like, are you, are you kidding me? You didn't know that movie existed until we mentioned it. Yeah. Right. So hopefully they'll seek so. it out or not based on that. Yeah. The, the choice is yours, listeners. <laughs> you have the power. Thanks, everyone, for listening to our show. Make sure to check out our website, GobeskiWallSupport.com. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter. Just follow us at... GW Report, and we're on the Facebook as well, just like our page, the Gobeski Wallace Report. I kind of forgot what was happening. <laughs> it's always so hard with the Twitter with like the at. Like, you don't have to say at, do you? I don't know. That's a question for the listeners to decide. All right, thanks everyone. Charlie and I need to record a new intro for a different episode. Oh, oh so you're kicking us out? Well, you can listen, you just can't yeah, <laughs> pipe up. Yeah, you're welcome to stay. You just need to be muted. I'm going to bed. All right. All right. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you so much. Bye. 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 All right, so this is the intro then for the second episode. Yes. Okay. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Gobeski Wallace Report. My name is Charlie Wallace. No, 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 no. Do something like, hello, and welcome back to the second half right. of, the Go- oh. of our Gobeski Wallace Report special birthday episode treat. I don't know. <laughs>